0: Good afternoon, on behalf of Elite Business Live, I'd like to welcome you to the very first event in the Elite Business Live 2023 On Tour series. My name is Hannah Previtt, I'm a business journalist with The Times, and I'm very excited to be hosting this session this afternoon from our studio here at Tech Show London. So a huge welcome to all of you here with us in the studio and to you all joining us from homes and offices around the country. Now in previous years, you might have caught my co-host, Ollie Barrett and I hosting the Elite Business Live National Conference, which takes place in London each year. But this year with Elite Business Live turning 10, we decided to do something special and different and to take the event essentially on tour across the UK. So this is our very first satellite event here at day one of Tech Show London. It's been a great day so far, I'm sure you'll all agree. Um, with lots going on so if any of you joining at home did want to come on down tomorrow you can find all the details on the what's on tab on your screen and don't forget to join in the conversation you here with us in the room and also at home by using the hashtag EBL 2023 so that's quite enough from me. Uh, without further ado, I'd like to introduce you to this cast of experts we have up here. So directly to my left, we have Kim Antonio, who's founder and inventor of Oris Tech, amongst lots of other things. Next to her, we have Ketan McQuana, who is a TEDx speaker, author, mentor, and chairman of 77 Ventures. And next to him, we have Melissa Snova, who is CEO and founder of Nourished and Scripted. And last but not least, we have Will Hale, who's group director, EMEA at monday.com. So to kick things off, I thought it'd be good to talk about something really timely. So, you know, we're here at Tech Show London, and we've all heard about the mass layoffs at companies like Facebook, Amazon, and uh, and more recently, Amazon, um, Salesforce, sorry. Um, so what does this mean for the jobs market? Is there a huge influx of talent? or are things very much as they have been for the last kind of 10 years or so? Certainly since I've been covering covering this patch, we've been talking about talent shortages, particularly in tech. Ketan, I'm going to come to you first. What do you think?
1: Right. Um, well, in my opinion, I think um, it's still a little bit of the same. I think the reason why a lot of these tech companies uh, really went on an upward trend of hiring is during the pandemic and during lockdown, they were building these kind of teams for hybrid remote roles. I think now um, things are starting to change, the way in which um, these big tech companies need to perform. Um, it's now creating this void where it's too expensive for them to keep this type of behavior and these, uh, these resources. So what you've got is you've got an abundance of talent in the market, but I don't think that talent has really gone up a notch uh, and up a level um, as it currently stands.
0: And Will, does that chime with your experiences? Obviously, you're growing Monday uh, here in the UK, so obviously hiring quickly all the time. Have you seen lots of brilliant CVs come through?
2: We have seen an uptick at Monday.com in terms of people applying directly and reaching out to try and understand if you're recruiting and what roles you're recruiting for and applying for those roles directly. But I would say you still face the same challenges It's just, you've got more people coming to you directly. You're still trying to look for the best people in the market. You're still trying to look for um, people that have the skills you need. And actually it's become harder in a way. So the biggest knock on effect of the redundancies that have happened has been top tech talent is more reticent to perhaps have a conversation with you because of the uncertainty in the market. So it's even harder potentially to get people interested due to that fact of, you know I'm better where I am perhaps.
0: And Melissa, what would you say are the biggest challenges you face in attracting and retaining brilliant talent? Obviously you're based in Birmingham and I know that you're a huge advocate for building a business outside of London, I think I heard cheer in the room there, there's <laughs> other uh, Brummies here uh, with us today, so
3: yeah, they're, they're, you must still have your challenges, right? Everyone does. Yeah, I think absolutely. I think being in Birmingham helps us a lot because um, we're not in the same competitive market as we would be in Silicon Valley or in London, despite the fact that so many people are remote working, maybe all the time, or at least in a hybridized model, there is still um, you know, some uh, congruency that they want to come to a space, be with their collab team members. And so being in Birmingham, people who are in Birmingham, coming out of any one of the five universities will be aware of who we are. And in that marketplace, we have an extremely strong um, and well-known reputation, so it helps us. I think on the topic of all of the redundancies, we we thought the same thing. We were like, oh, this is gonna be nuts. Like there's gonna be, and you can, you can hire coders from anywhere in the world, you know, to some degree, depending on the level of responsibility. But actually what we're finding is, um, the big tech companies uh, have a lot to answer for really, because they inflated The market in that specific layer of talent and so these people have gone on to live their lives live within their means of those really high inflated salaries and so we're a startup and we can't pay the same salary that you had at Facebook or Twitter or any of those other big companies so despite the fact that you're great and you would have a thriving career here we can't meet somewhere in the middle and so I think that's it's gonna take a little bit longer for those people to either get used to or find a way to move forward and and find a way to settle back into a different type of working and Kim I can see you nodding along there basically jumping out of your seat because you have something you have to
0: add <laughs> so what's your experience no, like? I,
4: I completely agree with Melissa I think that um, you know all of those sort of the Facebook's and the Twitters and everything they have hyped people up in such a way and it's not just about the amount they pay them it's about the amount of time they get to do their own R&D mm-hmm. it's about all of the other benefits and everything that they get and so they actually think when they come back to the real world and most of us are in the real world mm-hmm. that you know this exists but actually you know it, it doesn't so I think it has has made them, uh, in in some cases, it's made it a little bit difficult. It's made it more hard.
0: So while we're on the subject of expectations, something Mm -hmm. I've heard a lot from people I've been interviewing recently is that they find their tech teams have certain expectations that they have to, basically they, they have to oblige because otherwise they're absolutely terrified they're going to lose them. So usually it's around hybrids working now that the tech teams have gone. I don't want to play into that stereotype of c- coders hiding in the basement in their hoodies because I know as journalists, we do that sometimes. <laughs> um, but you know, just in terms of letting them work remotely, do all your tech teams yeah, all all work all Yeah, all of our tech teams. And is that cool? Be... Is that fine by you? Yeah, you?
4: well, most of our tech team are um, over in the Philippines, over right. in Manila, and that works really, really well for us. We've got our own little setup over there. But even then they they work from home mainly. But I think that's, I mean, one of the things that COVID's done for us, hasn't it, is the fact that you know tech teams often work remotely. I mean, and tech teams are often really inspired to work for businesses because they can have that autonomy and work from home. Um, And I think COVID has kind of just made that even easier for everybody. And it's made it, in some ways, easier. Uh, It's kind of connected to tech teams. We've got people in in Edinburgh and and Birmingham also. um, And Philippines not that many I hasten to add um, but nevertheless it's you know it's a relatively small tech team but I uh, but it's all over the place and it works you know slack
0: <laughs> yeah I, I, mean, I hear you um, although I'm from an industry that's very much into a kind of presenteeism culture right newspapers we like to be together to get the newspaper out um, so Will, how about you building uh, the Monday in the UK from scratch Um, And Kesson, I'm going to come to you because I know you've always been into agile working, right? So you're a proponent, but I want to hear a different point of view. Will, do you like to keep your tech team closer to you?
2: Yeah, um, we've hired up to 65, well, just over 65 people since 2020. So like in a couple of years, we've grown 65 people. We have everyone in the office three days a week. Um, Primarily that was during COVID times we obviously didn't have a, 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 a facility. So everyone was working remotely. We had a COVID policy. You could work up to three three months uh, at a time in any one place, that's the location of your choice. But when we opened the office on the 21st of June, um, just after we went public, people wanted to come to the office. And so as a, as a company, we invest quite a bit in our offices. So we're three days a week in there. I mean, our offices in Tel Aviv are crazy. We've got a football pitch. We've got... A spa. We, we invest a lot of money in it because we believe a lot in in kind of being around people and, and doing other contributions. So uh, so yeah, we're we're the kind of opposite. We're three days a week in the office together as a collective. Um, and yeah. you
0: didn't experience any resistance with that post COVID getting people back into the office.
2: Well, it, the the first office we had was on was in is in London. It was we we had a dilemma: do we get a small office which was around two thousand square foot? Um, and see if people want to come in there and use it and 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 or do we go for the bigger office now based on our, our plans? so we took the safer bet and we went for the smaller office on on Regent Street in London and then not Regent Street um uh, just around there uh, in london <laughs> and then and then we um and then we were oversubscribed so within six months, we had to move to a new office which is now twelve thousand square foot um so we've got two floors. Um, Because people wanted to come in and they did and we didn't have the football pitch in that office
0: (laughs) Um, Before I come to you Kirsten, what about you Melissa? Do you have most of your team working in the office or are you pretty flexible?
3: So our business is um, not just pure tech. So we build hardware, we build 3D printers, and that's a physical piece of work that you need to be with the machines and you need to be with the CNC machines and the 3D printers and all of those things. And then we make our our consumer products end-to-end. So, you know, I would say probably 60% of our business is there actually seven days a week because orders are really high and we need to be able to service them and make sure we live up to our standards. But the commercial team as we call them that are not um, physical labor based or machine based um, are really doing very similarly to what Will just said. We don't say it has to be these three days Um, but they are coming in at least three days a week, sometimes more, and you know, we have three different facilities. We have one in um, a really cool area of, of Birmingham called Digbeth, which is right near the train for the Grand Central, so that's really easy for people to get to. But our newest, swishiest, shiniest facility is a little bit further away from the city, but it has really amazing stuff. We provide breakfast and lunch for everybody. There's no spa and no football pitch. But um, yeah, it's probably about 15,000 square feet. And we, we're trying to make it as um, inviting as possible. Right now, we have the opposite problem where we have too many people coming to the new site. And we're having to say, you have to go back to Digbeth to the cool creative site, because we don't have any room um, for you here. But yeah, that's really a time management point of view.
0: And that's one of the great things as a founder, isn't it? Walking around and getting the buzz and the feel for mm-hmm. Place they talk and kind of management speak around about kind of walking the floor, right? Totally. Walking the floor feels amazing. So, Ketan, there's no walking of the floor, and your team aren't getting breakfast, lunch. They're certainly not getting a spa or football pitch. So, how do you entice them to work for you?
1: Well, number one, I'm going to be moving to Tel Aviv <laughs> because of that football pitch and spa. Look, I come from a startup world. Um, you know, I've been an entrepreneur, I've had multiple startups, and the one word that I'm gonna bring to this conversation is bootstrapping. You know, we don't have oodles of cash to go through recruitment. We don't have time to, uh, to bed people in. We don't have the, the facilities to be able to give them football or free beer at uh, six o'clock or whatever it is gonna be. The truth of it is, is as an entrepreneur and a business owner, I need results fast. So I'm always into agile teams I'm always about outsourcing the work the great thing about outsourcing is that I can change my teams whenever I want I can contract them in contract them out I don't have to worry about recruitment because I'm not a recruiter you know I can let them handle that part of it and I can also write off a lot of tax with the payment of where it goes. So for me, it's all about the agility of things. I don't think there's anything wrong about using recruitment to build tech, but it depends what business you're in and where your business is in the stage of, uh, of its size and enormity. Look, if you take what Melissa says, that, you know, they're a hardware manufacturer. They've got to have uh, bodies you know, in, in the business running on that particular way. I just recently launched two months ago a brand new uh, digital platform. Everyone is outsourced. The whole team, the tech team, is all outsourced. And I've got stages of projects. So we've got one team coming in doing the project. They execute. They'll hand over to the next team. They hand over to the next team. But
0: that in itself takes a huge amount of management time, surely? Not
1: necessarily. Uh, Not necessarily. It's more kind of more of a if you set your ducks in line early on, you set out the project, it's more project management than it is leadership and management. It's setting the expectations, making sure that they, uh, your tech teams are contractually obligated to deliver these particular results. If they don't deliver the results, guess what? They don't get paid. Whereas, whereas if you employ someone, it takes them six months to get into the role. You've got to provide them breakfast, lunch and dinner, football pitches, spas, They don't do the role. It takes them 30% of the cost of their salary to then exit them out of the system. You've probably paid double before you've even got any productivity. Okay, work. and
0: I'm glad you've brought up this point. So you talked there about expectation and results, and when we were having chat beforehand, we talked very much about that, right, and how you judge if somebody can do what they say they do. And we've all seen the LinkedIn posts, right, where everybody blows smoke up their own behinds and <laughs> talks about all of these amazing qualities that they may or may not have. How do you tell an imposter from the real deal, Kim? Oh, tell no. us. Well,
4: firstly, I'm actually, well, half of my team or well, most of my team are probably looking at this, and we haven't got any tennis courts or football <laughs> pitches or spas. but I feed them. Whenever I see my team, I feed them, and I feel that they will walk through fire for me because
0: I feed them. I was going to say, you fed um, me, and I would walk through fire for you. Yeah.
4: <laughs> but um, I, I, don't, I don't know. The, th- the problem with tech is that, really, the only way you can tell whether talent is really good is once they've come in and they've embedded in the team. And the problem with tech, other than most other roles, is that... Um, it's sometimes, it sometimes it can take sometimes three, sometimes six months to actually see how well they're doing, depending on, you know, what part of the project, what part of the technology that they're working on. So it's really hard to kind of understand, you know, to, to come. People always, you know, people can and are used to now promoting themselves very well and they can talk a good talk. But um, yeah, but in technology, unlike a lot of other sort of skill sets within a business, it's. Um, it takes time so it's it's harder to uh, you have to wait you have to go through that process luckily um, when you when you've got really good tech leads my technical director's brilliant at kind of getting under the hood quite quickly and and being you know learning how to um, get to the root of that quite quickly and then people have to go but i was um, going to
0: say so what do you do do you have to I, be quite ruthless and if they're not performing you you get I, rid of them
4: the thing is it's like Ketan was just saying, you know, in, in, in the startup world, you know, you, you haven't got time. You have to move quickly. Everybody expects the innovation to move really, really quickly. And um, yeah, so you, you,
0: you, can't, you can't really, um,
4: can't take prisoners, really.
0: Melissa, I can see you nodding along. So h- how do you manage kind of the performance of your tech team? And if you had to exit anyone for, any, for underperformance?
3: Yeah, I think, you know, we have, like I said, various kinds of tech. The hardware tech is really easy. You can set a task to be able to indicate whether they really know what they are talking about and what they say they can do. It can be a digital text, uh, like a CAD drawing or a CAD design, or it can be a physical text like like if you can solder, you can solder or you can't. And so those kinds of things are easier to really run. You know, we always have tasks for new recruitment and until one of my team has a task built, they can't even put the job live. So it has to be part of the actual thinking process, what they want that person to do for them, for the business to commit that resource and that budget. But actually, you know, when it comes to our tech team, we have a lot of things in our online business, which if they're not doing their job, show themselves very quickly. Um, And so certainly we have a lot of people who have targets based on the performance of our website, the custom coding that's behind our algorithm, all those things. If they don't work and then my head of e-comm sales can't make her target, she will tell me <laughs> um, and she is tenacious. And um, that's why I love her. And that's why she's been in that role so long. When it comes to exiting people, I think, you know, I understand your topic and we never use recruitment agents, by the way, I've never used one ever. And I, and I wouldn't really know, if, sorry, to recruitment agents. But at the same time, we're, you know, we actually see probation as a tryout for them with us and us with them that whole six month probationary um, platform that the UK has in, in employment law is really there for that reason is, you know, if you can't tell if somebody's gonna fit into their role within six months, then, then you have a problem as a management team, not the other way around. And I think, although certainly we would never ever let someone go without giving tons and tons of feedback and support to bring them to the level where they need to be, if it's still not working, there is a point at which you need to cut ties because your business has to move extremely fast yeah. and you don't really have the luxury of um, bloat of, of people that are not doing what what is needed. And does that mean therefore having slightly longer probation periods? Because as you were
0: saying, Kim, you might not be able to t- Tell for yeah. six months if somebody's up to the job and probationary periods are often only what three months.
4: Yeah. I, I think it's funny you were talking about um, having tests before they come we always go put our tech team through various different tests they do code tests and they yeah. do project tests and all of them but we've had situations where actually where we've worked with agencies abroad before now and in Russia actually and the recruitment company were doing the tests for them
1: Ooh.
4: and it was like, you know, they, they, they kind of, so That's they get horrible. all this help and, 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 and they actually haven't even done the tests themselves. So it's, um, it's amazing what, what people can, can tend to do, but,
0: uh, and, and Will, how do you approach the kind of sifting process? We spoke before about LinkedIn scraping, right? And people yeah. presenting themselves in a certain way. So how do you identify somebody that you might like to work with? And what's your approach to using recruitment agencies? Because I think, unlike Melissa, you do.
2: Yeah, we, we, we do use agencies. Um, but regardless of where we get the, the um, candidate's asset, which is their CV, not a scrape off LinkedIn, their CV that they've put time into Sometimes
0: it. they don't know the difference.
2: Yeah, but a LinkedIn scrape is not a CV. It's, that's so we look at the CVs and we and within that, you can take your characteristics, the characteristics that you want and that for anyone that's creating a CV, that's, that's an asset for, for somebody to understand you before they get an opportunity to meet you. So with layoffs or lots of people in the market, whatever is, is happening, you want to make sure that you're, meet, you're spending your time wisely. So we look at... If you want to see if someone's intelligent, well, where did they go to school, where did they go to university, at what time, say you know nothing about universities, what did they study and at what period was that university ranked? If you want to look at intelligence, are their moves logical, so have they jumped every six months or have they gone you know, uh, logically through their career to get to where they are? if you're looking for character or you're looking for determination or drive, like what is that individual, what have they demonstrated on the asset that you get before you see them, that they have that? Have they done, are they telling you they're doing loads of charity work but, or, 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 or are they not? Um, what are the, the, the things that they do that can lead you to a conclusion that they fulfill the things that, that are valuable to you? And then that's how I would, I, would use the, I would use that to decide whether I wanted to meet somebody or not, and the opinion that they give of themselves at the top of it, like, I'm very good at X, Y, and Z, is obviously what that individual feels that they are great at, but it's, I don't take that into consideration whatsoever because most people's opinions of themselves are pretty high.
0: Interesting, Ketan, yeah, please do. Add really quickly into
1: this, right, that um, with this th- new digital platform that I've launched, I actually went through the process. I thought, no, let me find a CTO. Let me go through the recruitment process. Let me see if we can get Uh, you know, some category A type of expertise and skill in, in, you know, to come in. So we used, or I I, I offered this to a couple of recruitment agencies. The first thing is they want your business exclusively. So they're like, we're the only company that's going to survive you. Next, they want to put all these fees up in front of you, which before they've even done any work, okay? Now, anyway, I got a whole barrage of CVs sent to me, of which I thought, okay, let me interview a few of these people. And the disconnect between what they say and how they perform in an interview just told me I said I'm wasting my time yeah. okay and 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 this is, comes back from this hyperinflation of what happens because the industry the tech industry has made these bubbles of 150,000 pound a year jobs basically the the industry feels like they're they're entitled to that type of money the, the difference here is is that uh, cost pressures are now increasing which means that we now as business owners need to think about how we balance the book so we are looking for value for money And these guys don't know how to explain how value for money works. They're like, this is the way I've worked always. So this is what you're going to get. And I know if I go through that process and hire a CTO, I'm going to let them have to go in two months. And that's going to come at a cost of their salary for two months and the success fees for for placing them for a recruitment firm. That's why I kind of step away uh, in that.
0: Hold that thought, Kim. I can see you're dying to jump in here, but. I want to give everybody in the room the opportunity to ask a question. So just before we move on, are there any questions? Because I have hundreds. Brilliant. Do we have a mic in the room or can this lady shout it out? Bear with us just one second, please, so people can hear you at home. It's on its way. Thank you, Scott. Can you just tell us your name and where you're from as well, please? Yes, of course. Uh, Thank you so much. First of all, it's a very interesting conversation. My name is Aruna. I'm from Cursor Consulting, a data science company in, in Portugal.
2: Uh, very interesting subject. When you when you're speaking about the challenges of hiring, do you refer to the more senior and middle profiles? And if not, would you rather invest your time and efforts to get
1: what you want on the more senior role, or you would rather uh, invest in more junior profiles? For them to grow and evolve in the company. Thank you.
0: Interesting, Kim. Would you well, I
4: I think we always always look at our senior roles first. You've got to get your senior roles really in good shape first, because otherwise you end up with chaos, mm. in my opinion. And so if you if you if you hire well and your your senior people and then. They are part of the hiring process because whoever you know, talking about your C- your CTO scenario, they are going to be have, they're going to be the person that's going to be accountable for for whatever happens in that. So I think it's critical.
3: Melissa, do you want yeah. to disagree? I I think it depends on the role. So actually, we hire a lot of people fresh out of university. and and specifically in creative roles and design roles and engineering design, specifically product design, some of the young people um, have the most current training, quite frankly, but also the most um, open thinking that helps us to solve design, um, you know, quandrums that we might come across. I think we are actually more reluctant um, for those type of roles to hire people who have worked in corporate America or corporate UK for a very long time because it's so different as an environment to our fast growth startup that it's, you know, we've tried it before and it is a struggle to find the right people that can do that shift and get into it. But that being said, I want my CFO to be a chartered accountant. I want my, you know, head of operations to be highly, highly experienced and understand manufacturing and agile planning. Um, and those, so it depends on the role, but we hire tons of people uh, directly out of school or even in apprenticeships. Thank you. Uh, do we have any more
0: questions from the floor? I just want to get through as many as quickly as we can. Uh, the mic is, Hi. sorry, we're gonna take the stage first and then we'll come to you. I'm Raluca. Uh, I'm from Emarketing Stars, we're a digital marketing agency, and I was wondering if you work with freelancers or agencies, and how do you take that decision between working with someone that is contracts or temporary versus full-time hire? Thank you. Well, yeah, cut in first, and then perhaps Will can take this one. Okay, to
1: you uh, really quickly, yes, 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 and yes. Um, the behaviour of agencies is they come from a startup mentality. They have the responsibility. They understand the main um, hierarchical pressures I have on, on starting up the business. The, the other side to this is, is your contracts and your agreements are a lot more fluid, which means that you can get in and out quite quickly if things aren't working out. And, and sort of following up from that is, the more you work with these types of agencies, the more familiar they become with your type of business, the longer the relationship can become. So if I'm recruiting, I'm recruiting agencies, not individuals, that's, uh,
2: that's my point.
0: Well, do you have anything to add to that?
2: I don't think it makes a difference whether you're taking somebody temporary or taking somebody permanent. If you have a relationship with that recruitment agency and they know your business inside out and, and they know what you're looking for, you'll get a similar sort of result.
0: Super. Thank you. Do we have a mic over here for this lady? Yep. Thank you. If you could just tell us your name, where you're from. Hi.
4: Yeah, thank you. My name is Alison. I'm from Inspire People
1: and I'm a recruitment consultant. <laughs> <laughs>
0: <laughs> oh, I don't think they were ter- they weren't terribly <laughs> hey, oh, rude. maybe just Melissa. Yeah. I did say sorry. <laughs> <laughs> I, I just have a really quick question
4: for you. I've been recruiting and consulting for the last 30 years and I've been working with people like like very similar to you guys. Um, and what we've kind of learned over that time is recruiting for behavior and attitude over skill sets it is without doubt the best way to go and I just wondered what you had within your companies
1: uh, that allow you to do that okay we have something very quickly we use uh, we don't use um, psychometrics but we use an organometric which looks at the natural proclivity and energy of an individual uh, it kind of helps us understand what uh, approach that they would have to the work are they strategic are they creative are they driven are they perfectionists etc? That's one element. The other side to it is also uh, a little bit like what Kim was suggesting around assessment centers. We, we then create tasks which are not directly uh, connected to the job that they're doing, but we can then understand how they would approach it. And you're absolutely right. I think attitude and behavior outweighs the kind of skill. I, can, I know that if the skill is already there because they've done particular work, um, as long as they are going to fight tooth and nail, for me, as long as they're going to behave uh, in a way which is as much passion as I have for my business, I know that we're on a win-win. So we do use certain tools, even when we're looking at agencies as well.
4: And Kim? We 100%, we have a conversation with them. It's about, you know, you can, it's about bringing people that understand your culture, understand your vision, the right type. You can skill, you can teach people to skills, but you can't teach them culture. You can't teach them how to be as a human. And so for us, it's about lots of conversations. We never call any first conversation that we have with a new um, recruit into the company. We never call it an interview. It's a discovery chat. Why don't you discover me and let let us discover you. And we have two or three discovery chats across our sort of, you know, our core team, our exec team. And then it's like, will they fit in with the business. We've got You know, for us, it's like the Oris family and people need to fit in. And so for us,
0: completely key. Well, I think that's a fantastic note to end on. I'm sorry if there's any more questions. Perhaps you can tweet us and we can get back to you on those. Um, I would love to sit and chat to you all all afternoon, but I'm afraid we really are out of time. So thanks so much, Kim, Ketan, Melissa and Will. Uh, Just before I go, as I said at the beginning, this is the first event of five in the Elite Business Live on Tour series. Next up, we're going to be back here at the Evening Standards SME Expo on April the 25th. It won't be me, unfortunately. You could not get that lucky twice. It's my (laughs) co-host, Ollie Barrett. I don't mean that. I don't mean that. Ollie's fantastic. much better than me Um, so to continue the conversation between now and then you can use the hashtag EBL 2023 you can replay this session and find plenty more besides all on the website so thanks to our sponsors and our partners we couldn't do this without you and finally a huge thanks to Tech Show London and to you all for joining us today it's been an absolute absolute pleasure so thank you and goodbye